Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. How do we create a space of spiritual healing for survivors of sexual violence? That's a question an arts group led by Black survivors is working to answer. The group Surviving the Mic is rethinking what a church space can look like. They're blending poetry writing workshops, resource sharing, and meditation in an upcoming event series called The Survivor's Revival. We spoke with the point people of this project to learn more. Nikki Patan is the founder and executive producer of Surviving the Mic. Mojde Stokely is the research and innovation officer. And Sante Harden-Tate is the advocacy and accountability officer. All three also share the title of executive director. Nikki, I'll start with you. Why did you start Surviving the Mic? Wow, it's um, we're almost ten years old. So wow, we'll be ten years old next January. Um, I had been working um in advocacy advocacy for survivors of sexual violence for a really long time, um, and also had been working as a poet, and sort of noticed that there wasn't really a space for the two of those things to exist simultaneously. So mm-hmm. I said, you know, we kind of started with like one idea, which was a ten week. Uh, writing and performance workshop for folks who identified as black, femme, uh, spoken word artists and survivors of sexual violence. Um, Ten weeks long. I had five guest teachers, including Sonia Renee Taylor from The Body is on Apology, mm-hmm. Dr. Tara Betts, Cece Carter, um, Enina Jay and Kokuma Kinetic. Um, and at the end of that 10 weeks, folks looked at me and said, hey, can we do an open mic? And at the time I had a newborn <laughs> and I had just started an MFA program and I was like, Ooh. and lived 60 miles outside of the city. Okay, that's a lot. But I was like, okay, um, <laughs> let's do it. Um, and 10 years later, we're still doing that. So we, you know, have held space in person and virtually um, monthly and sometimes, you know, twice monthly um, now for 10 years and mm-hmm. mostly volunteer run. Well, you mentioned the target group there. I want you to dig deeper and just describe that sure. need for, for this kind of work, particularly when it comes to black women and girls. Absolutely. So black women and girls um, are one of the groups that is most impacted by sexual violence in this country. Um, with the exception of indigenous women, we have the lowest rates. Um, of incarceration, but experience one of the highest impacts of sexual violence um, at a rate of over 60 percent um, before the age of 18. Mm. And so that's six zero. Um, as we all came out of a pandemic, we, we know that that's three percent of the population. So they don't really have a word for 60. So it particularly affects us. But we also don't get traction in the criminal legal system. And we don't really get a whole lot of space culturally to speak about this from our perspective through our voices. How did you get involved in this work, Mojday? Um, I was actually a part of the first 10-week cohort, um, and at that time, uh, and well, I guess we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I couldn't utter the word survivor. I could talk about other survivors. I could celebrate other survivors um, in their in their growth and development, but I, I couldn't identify with that language. Do you know um, why? I'm, well, yeah, it's uh, a lot of it has to do with family, faith. And um, heritage. Um, yeah. I'm Afro-Persian, so what does that mean in terms of half of my identity and the other half of my d- identity as well? But um, yeah, we went to Minnesota to do this culminating performance. And on the drive home, first of all, everyone assumes survivors are crying in the corner. That drive was all turn up. We were laughter <laughs> the whole time there and the whole time back. It was delightful. So on the I way back, that. we were like, Nikki, what do you want to do with this? She's like, start an organization. So we were like, cool. Do you need our resumes? You got a board. 
Mm. What is unique about surviving the mic, Sante? That's so much that is unique, honestly. Um, I think that it is a brave space. I know a lot of times when we talk about setting a space for survivors, we're saying a safe space. Um, There's really no way to uh, provide or to promise a safe space. But what we do at Surviving the Mic is provide that brave space. It gives you a space to speak out. It gives you a space to be... um, elevated for people to hear your voice. It gives you a space for you to live your truth, um, which is something that survivors don't get to do very often. And so um, I think that if we talk about what makes us unique, I would have to say that's one of the biggest things about us is that I haven't seen that duplicated in any other environment. Mm -hmm. And it's what draws people into us. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you made that distinction between brave space and safe space, because we do. You're right. We do hear that a lot. Right. I want to turn back to you, Nikki. You started this organization. You recently became a 501c3. Yes. Remind us what that is and what it means for you specifically in this team. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, 501c3 is your legal designation as a nonprofit. It means that you're, you know, you can open a bank account, you can collect donations. Um, In some cases, you can get tax exempt status. And so for us, running Surviving the Mic for so long without that meant that we ran it without donations, without any sort of like funding or support whatsoever. I mean, it was really, truly a labor of love. Like when you say blood, sweat and tears, um, you know, my son will be 10 this summer. But when we first started, he was a toddler. And one time we were literally running Surviving the Mic out of a cafe. And after the open mic was over, we looked up and he was like in the dessert case, like just hanging out (laughs) Uh, because we're like breaking out chairs and the whole thing. So you'll always remember that, though. Oh, absolutely. It's one of our best memories. But it's also a reminder of just how much love people have sown into this. So now that we're a 501c3, we just won our first grant from the network, um, which was really exciting. Um, And it just allows us to do this work on a whole different level. You filed as a religious organization, though. We did. Why? We did. Well, we looked at the designation. We looked at the definition of that. And it said, you know, like-minded people who gather together on a consistent basis. That would be us. And healing um, for all of us, and all of us have very different, you know, religious experiences and perspectives. Um, I've for a very long time self-identified as a heathen. Um, so this was really interesting that we filed in this way. Um, I mean, I've been in like 10 bands. I've toured all over the world. You know, like that's, you know, right, right. I, I, no shame in my game. Um, but what we recognize, though, is that healing is a spiritual journey. Mm. No matter what your religious affiliation belief system, it is a spiritual journey to choose to say, I want to move forward. I want to evolve. I want to heal the pain. I want to acknowledge that I have this pain. And I want to make sure that this pain doesn't carry over. Um, especially if you're a parent, onto like my children or yeah. my friends or my family, you yeah. know. So, I'm, Mojde, I'm stuck by your your description of that car ride, right? The experience. Mm-hmm. We're talking about art here, essentially, right? And we know art can take you to a place; it can be transcendent. So, I want you to talk to us about how experiencing performance, how that can feel like a church service, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. And and that is something people tell us at the end of. Uh, each event almost consistently um, that it feels like church. Um, I think that there's something to the reality, like Nikki and I specifically come out of the slam poetry movement though we were both writing before we entered it. Um, and so in that form, you are, you cannot as a person be detached from your art, right? Um, because you have to write your own work in order for it to be um, okay for the c- competition or within rules. Mm. And so there is something to be said about writing your truth 
and then uttering that truth. And there's plenty of science to back this. Feel free to email me if you want links Mm. to studies. But um, the act of writing, you actually are internally verbalizing when you look at your own words, Mm. right? So there's a neuroscience part of this. Right, that's true. Yeah, yeah, and then when you share it, it has like a, a release capacity as well. And so that can be a lot like prayer. That can be a lot like testimony. And I think it, that's what it is. I think mm-hmm. ultimately what we do specifically with Surviving the Mic, because we do have a shared alignment system. We do have a shared belief system. Yeah. Um, it's like testimony. Sante, let's piggyback off that. Why is this spiritual healing so important for survivors? It's one of the big things that is neglected oftentimes with survivors. Um, we, as all of us have a unique journey as survivors, um, but I can speak for myself. It was one that I neglected the most without even recognizing that I was neglecting that. And I was actually doing the work of helping survivors um, and tell their stories and help them in their healing processes. And so that's a very difficult thing for us to go through at times. Um, we have this disassociation from our survivorship sometimes. It's how we survive. It's how we keep going. And so um, having a space where you can actually attack that, where you can actually address that yeah. is super, super important. Um, it's part of the healing journey. What do you hope that you can provide for people? I hope that we can provide some sense of self again. Um, I tell people all the time that when you are assaulted, it's like killing someone without taking their life. They are never the person that they were before the event. And so I'm hoping that we can give someone a sense of self again. We can help them find who they are today after the fact. And sometimes that's a quick journey for some, and sometimes it's a very long journey, but it's all a process. Yeah. Moje, what's your response to folks who hear all this and they might say, oh, this isn't for me? Maybe they're saying that because it's, it sounds denominational mm-hmm. or um, because they have had a negative experience in a religious space. So there's two pieces to that. First of all, one of our board members uh, coined the term post-denominational for us, um, and we are putting that on the record uh, before some French, you know, uh, asparagus cooker, like, chef decides that's what they're calling their asparagus. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> you probably know which board member said that to me. But, um, yeah, I think that the thing is that it's not, it's more like the way that a UU church, university, Unitarian Universalist church, Church approaches the togetherness of people who practice um, multiple faiths but still share um, a, a, a like world of belief system of doing good in the world and like things like that, right? A serving community. Um, and so to that end, um, regardless of whether or not you literally believe in no God whatsoever or no spiritual whatever whatsoever, we still will serve you. That's the point, right? Yeah. And I think that that's true of any religious space. If you want to be in community with folks in a mosque, the average mosque will say, come in, right? And the same is true for the average church and the average synagogue and the average, you know, um, uh, Krishna um, uh, service and so forth. So um, Hare Krishna service. Um, and so I think that what it comes down to is that, like, it it's— our service to the community that matters. Um, And in terms of denomination, (laughs) come one, come all, we got you um, to the best of our capacity. And um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, like I said earlier, we're not all crying in the corner. We may say some serious stuff um, on the mic. Um, there but are moments we're not, of joy. Yeah, there's so many moments of joy, so many moments of joy. And, and Sante, take this just a, a step further, because, again, some folks are listening and they're thinking, oh, this is church-like, but this isn't church, right? What do you say? I say that spirituality is a thing, and you don't need to be um, a denomination to do that. And it's something that we all should be in in tune with and tapping into. It's part of how we heal. It's part of how we progress. Um, We are not here to tell you how to do that. We are not here to tell you who you should be turning to to do that. We are just hoping to give you some inspiration, some encouragement, and some support while you figure that out for yourself. And all spiritual journeys are unique, and everyone has to figure that out for themselves. Yeah. Well, Nikki, there, there's no definitive data out there on the number of people who experience sexual harm at the hands of clergymen sure. or in religious spaces. Right. Um, we do know that it doesn't just happen in the Catholic Church. Not at all. What is particular about this kind of violence compared to, say, other forms of sexual violence? Sure. I mean, I think that that the difference is is your level of expectation. And, and I have the same feeling about when this happens in organizing spaces and in arts and in education spaces, that you go into these spaces with the promise that the people who are leading these spaces are leading you to a better version of yourself. Mm -hmm. They're enriching your life with education. They're enriching your life with insight. They're enriching your life with support, um, whether that's emotional, psychological, or spiritual. Um, Another aspect of this, in addition to people experiencing sexual harm within those spaces are people who come to those spaces for solace, for relief, for support. I mean, there's a sense of trust there. There's a sense of trust. And when you break that trust, either by violating it in terms of, you know, harming someone with sexual violence, or you violate that trust by shaming someone when they've come to you for support and for understanding and for, you know, all the things that you come to a spiritual space for when you compromise that trust I think it reverberates on a level that is way deeper than when than when it happens just mm-hmm. in other situations because there's a, a level of trust you're already walking in with yeah. for someone. They break that trust, and then now you're not only dealing with broken trust, but you're also harmed, and you have this trauma. And now the space that you would normally go to to deal with, you know, go to to deal with trauma, you can't even access that space anymore. And there's the element of salvation. Absolutely. And like you feeling like, did I get it wrong? Did I trust the wrong person? I came here looking for this and now this happened. Well, Sante, Nikki brings up the point of shaming, right? So so let's dig into that a little bit. How can the response from religious leaders after alleged sexual assault, you know, how can that affect a survivor's ability to actually heal? Like, what is the best case scenario? Like, what? How would we like leaders to respond? I believe you. I would like to hear that. Preach. Um, mm-hmm. preach, I believe preach, you. I think Period. that first and foremost, um, that is something that they are met with all the time. Survivors are often afraid to tell their stories because of disbelief. Um, and so just I believe you and I support you. And how can I support you? Um, that is the best case scenario. And support looks different for each of us. Um, all of our survivorships are unique. So we are going to need different things in that healing process. But one thing that we all need is to hear I believe you. So, Moje, um, talk about how you all came up with this concept of the Survivor's Revival. Um, actually, I'm going to just levy it over to Nikki because this was definitely, um, definitely her, her brainchild. Brain yeah. 
<laughs> Tell us and, and try to describe for us what one of these revivals will, will be like. What, what will sure. it look like? Yeah, absolutely. Well, our first one is this weekend. So we're very excited. Sunday? Yeah, this Sunday. Through, um, so we don't quite know yet what it'll look like, but I do know like what I want it to feel like. Okay. So over the summer, I had the privilege of going to Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I was working with them on ending mass incarceration campaign. Um and I love that church. That was Martin Luther King Jr.'s church, um, Senator Raphael legendary Warnock's church. church. Right. Legendary church. And I, again, I, I just said, Sasha, you know, I identify as a heathen. So I'm not in church often. Right. But in this church, I was just like in tears. The services were so beautiful. The music was just incredible. The testimony was just captivating. And it stayed on my mind for weeks and weeks and weeks. So flash forward to this February and we're filing our designation. And we're like, oh, we're going to file as a religious organization. And I was like, oh. <gasps> we need to do services like we can't we can't do this and not have like our own church service and then i thought about over the years that's what gets said to us often this feels like church it feels like church it feels like church well what's the best part of church one the stories a really powerful testimony where you walk away feeling like you learned something um the music right mm-hmm. like you know and i think also being with people with whom you feel like you have an affinity, a community. And so I said, Is that the need you're trying to fill? And that's the need that we're trying to fill because I think a lot of us, especially those of us who are artists and survivors, we love church. We love spaces where we actually can feel something and feel not only connected to whoever's on stage, but also feel connected to each other. And we've been able to get there as Surviving the Mic plenty of times, but not really during like our open mic spaces. So I said, you know, we need to come back to an in-person because we've been doing this virtually since the beginning, like the first week of the pandemic, we went to weekly virtual programming it's wild. for like the balance. Oh, so it's been the, well over two so years. So it's been well of, over two years. Yeah. And so this is our first time back in person. I said, well, if we're going to come back, let's come back in a way that feels more enriching, that feels like it's going to reverberate with people. And that's really going to give people something to really walk away with that will carry them through their week, through the month. That feels like church, but doesn't have any of like the negative parts. Where is it going to take place? So it's going to take place. We're so excited about this. Um, We're collaborating with an amazing organization in Humble Park called the Honeycomb Network. Um, It's a Puerto Rican femme queer led space. It's a co-working space, um, a retail space that features healing products from black and brown uh, small business entrepreneurs. Um, And it also has like an event space and it is beautiful, filled with light and plants and just art on the walls. It's just it's stunning. And when we walked in, um, we just knew that yeah. that's where we needed to be. And that's led by uh, Denise Ruiz. Now, I know they haven't happened yet, Day, and, and Nikki just did a beautiful job sort of walking us through uh, the concept there. But, I mean, who are you hoping to reach from these this series? I think aside from, like, sort of the blanket of survivors, um, we have to also remember that trauma reverberates, it ripples. So if you are a family member of a survivor, if you are um, a a close friend, a partner of a survivor, you know, yeah, anyone in community with a survivor that can impact you as well. So we want to create a space that enables folks to do some of that like vibration of healing together. Yeah. Um, And I think that we have to like, we were talking about this a little bit earlier when it comes to faith spaces and, and how that can impact you. But because of the fact that, you know, these questions come up, did, did God let this happen? Did I do something that, that God put this situation into my life and I've experienced harm now because of me or something like this, we want to make sure that folks can, um, you know, move through those feelings and come to that place of yeah. like, just just 
to heal and reconnect with whatever their spiritual practice is um, without the expectation. And I feel like this is very important without the expectation of needing to, quote, forgive Mm -hmm. the other person, but instead focus on the healing within. Sante, Surviving the Mic has several guidelines, right? Uh, You'll weave these into the revivals as sort of jumping off points for the meditations. Some of these guidelines, I was looking at them on your your website, and, and they caught my eye. One of them in particular, you don't have trigger warnings. Why not? Um, because if you're talking about trauma, you undoubtedly will be triggered at some point. It's it's impossible for us to prevent someone from being triggered in some way. And so we don't give trigger warnings. Instead, we just want them to be reminded that this is a brave space and to take care of yourself. So what we always start out saying to all of our attendees, our participants, is take care of yourself first. If you are needing to step away, step away. If this is too much, do that. Um, we try and have, well, we all the time have a crisis counselor on deck. I am a crisis interventionist myself. Okay. And we're there to provide support in case there are some triggers, but we cannot prevent them. And so we just want to be honest and transparent about that. I feel like if we don't do that, uh, we're setting folks up. And so when they are triggered, it's disappointing and it actually injures worse. Mm. Good point. Another uh, of the guidelines is that you, you don't dig into the details of people's stories, Nikki. Mm-mm. So as a journalist, you know I ask questions for a living. Of you know, course. digging is my middle name. Absolutely. <laughs> so I need you to walk me through this one. Sure. I mean, I, I think it depends on the on the context that you're in, Sasha. Like, you know, right here, right now, this is this is your role, right, is to dig in and ask us questions and get like all the good stuff. But like when you're in church, you if you go to church, you probably don't do that. Like you probably don't you know, ask questions of whoever's like at the pulpit, you just sort of accept whatever it is that they have to offer. And so for our space, we've recognized that that's the goal of our space is to just hold that space for people, literally just hold it. Mm. We don't have to judge it. I don't have to like necessarily like some people come in and the way that they've processed their story, it's that it's not even their story. Maybe it's fiction story. Maybe it's haiku. Maybe it's something where we're not going to get all the details. I'm not going to know this happened and this happened and I've, you know, this is why this happened. It's a, we don't need to know that. We're just grateful that you've decided to, it's an act of generosity to say, hey, I'm going to offer up this really painful story or this really hard thing that I've been through. I'm going to offer up that and I'm going to offer up that process in front of people and trust that you're going to listen to me and not judge me and not make me feel even worse about it. You're not going to cause me any further harm. So for us, just taking in people's stories It's kind of a revolutionary act because especially when it comes to sexual violence, I don't know what it is Mm. about this particular kind of violence, but it turns people into like Law and Order, CSI, Mm -hmm. you know, Olivia, whatever her name is. Olivia Pope. Right, right, you know, whoever it is. All the Olivias. Right, right. when I love me some murder, she wrote, exactly, you know, whoever. Right, we're like, now we got to, you know, I have a DNA processing lab in my garage. Like, no, like sometimes you can just let people's story be their story. And you don't have to know, right? You don't have to like get all the details. You don't have to get the justice justification for what happened to them you can just hold that space and listen and that's what we do and so that's our lane and we stay in our lane I wanted to mention too about triggers real quick one of the other reasons why we don't do trigger warnings is that we feel like it's arrogant Mm -hmm. to presume that we would know Mm -hmm. what would trigger someone Mm. because really it could be anything and that's the importance of holding that space um, in the way that we hold it is that with people processing things the way that they process it we never know 
how something's going to hit someone. So for us, our role is to be there, to hold that space, to provide those resources, and to respond and help really guide them through um, what my son and I call like big feelings, Um, you know, the tough stuff. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking about the Survivors Revivals. It's an initiative of Surviving the Mic that will hold a a spiritual space for survivors of sexual harm as part of the healing journey. Now, the first one's going to be this Sunday, April 30th, and we are talking with the executive directors of the organization. That's Nikki Patan, Mojde Stokely, and Sante Harden-Tate. All right, so you have brought some poems for us, right? Yes. I mean, you can't talk about poetry and not hear some poems. That's true. Um, so so let's dig in. Nikki, how about you go first? Sure. Um, this is a piece um, that was inspired by uh, Ego Trippin' by Nikki Giovanni. Uh, this is a Sestina, which is a poem with six stanzas of six lines and a final triplet. All the stanzas have the same six words at the line ends in six different sequences that follow a fixed pattern with all six words appearing in the closing three-line envoy. If you didn't, if you doubted whether or not we love poetry... <laughs> <laughs> and if we knew to this and not true to this, um, I mean, so are, technical, we are so yes. technical, um, but I, 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 but I love the Sistina. Um, it's a French verse form. Um, one of my favorites. And so this is called Sistina for the stars. Born perfect, brutally birthed ethereal. How else shall we describe the genesis of a star? Eyes searing jewels reflecting every angle of the divine. I dare you to bottle my light. Heavy with every kind of light, rippling, undulating across my bulging skin, perfect. My goddess body is not only divine, but flesh dripping down my bones, ethereal, as if my belly were stuffed with rare jewels, embodying refraction. I mirror convex, no shade, all star. Can't keep your eyes off the bounce of this star, skittering across the cosmos, a flashlight illuminating hidden jewels, studying the gorgeous landscape, perfect, smile rich and full, buttery and ethereal like that last creamy mouthful of ice cream, divine. The last little bite of heaven one can't get enough of, divine. I dare you to dissect a star, crack open trillions of years of ethereal. No, not too many can stand the intensity of this light. No, not many at all can keep company with this kind of perfect. Flaws abound in the promise of jewels. I never cared for jewels, always borrowing their glamour from the divine while pretending to be perfect. I know a rare gem still pales next to a true star, which can both shine and glare depending on the angle of the light. So gorge yourself on my ethereal. Behold my generosity in gifting you the vision of my ethereal. Do use your tongue to savor my jewels. Bask in my shameless light. I am a channel of the divine sauntering across the sky. I am a star, intentionally showing off well-worn orbits while naming myself perfect. My light ethereal, perfect big belly full of jewels, divine refusing to be called anything except star. Ooh, goosebumps. That star imagery is just... Snap for that. We'll snap for that. It's amazing. And suddenly I want ice cream. Yeah. That's the whole point. But but explain to us that importance of making room for these stories, right? And and the impact that can have on making change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, this, this poem in particular... You know, it's it's hard sometimes to look at yourself and say, yeah, I'm, I'm a star. I'm dope. I'm divine. I'm you know, it's it's one of the hardest things to do. And especially if you've experienced any kind of harm. Um, sorry, I think you can you can feel like you're a little tarnished, mm-hmm. right? Like you're not quite 100 percent. So to be able to, like, look in the mirror and say, no, 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 no. I'm a star. I'm divine. I'm perfect. And then to be able to read this piece 
And I know like with these folks and with the other folks of, of Surviving the Mic, I can read this piece and I'm not going to get any shade thrown at me. I'm not going to get anyone who disagrees with me. As a matter of fact, I'm going to get people who are lifting that up and who are saying, you know, you are a star. <laughs> you are divine. We see that. You see that in yourself. We see that in you, too. And that is like I can't mm. overstate the healing power of that. How do you work with folks to share their stories in a way that's self-protective, Sante? We allow them to do that on on their time and their space and what feels comfortable and genuine to them. We don't pressure. We don't push. Um, We actually have one of the members who has a notebook. We know it's fire in that notebook, but yet they have not shared any of those stories with us yet. Um, When you're in survivorship, it is your journey, and we just want to support you. We want to make sure we're giving you the space when you're ready to speak up. And when you are, you're going to be met with love, acceptance, and care, and admiration because it takes so much courage to tell your stories, even if it's not about survivorship um, due to sexual harm, but just survivorship as a human. Um, We see all survivorship, and we want to make sure you're uplifted in that. Yeah. Mojde, let's get to your poem. All right. Um, so I, I, I know that in America we have a real love for, <laughs> I say that with, um, yeah, we have a real love for plea deals in our court system. Mm. And I have kind of an obsession with um, spending time with the law, um, reading policy, as much as I have an obsession with reading scripture. Um, and I realize there's this crossover and kind of a misuse of the word testimony um, in this plea deal system, because often if you take a plea deal, which is really an agreement with, uh, <laughs> with, with the government to, to just say something that you are guilty um, in order to have a shorter sentence. Um, and so I have a series of testimonies okay. um, that are uh, from each of my complex identities, like the ascendant of enslaved black Americans, um, the ascendant of, of and current family member of religiously oppressed in Iran, um, the teacher, the gender-fluctuating person. Um, And this one is called The Woman. Okay. The Woman. Make me a new tale so that I may leave the old one distraction and no longer be prey. Make me desert walker, skin like ash, ashy midnight water bearers, so that these these night chameleons may wash themselves to glisten at dawn again for cool, evaporating kisses of sun. Better these reptile women don't boil. Make me married with equality without question for how my desert days made wrinkle of my purity to survive roadrunner men. Make me man maker. Save God. Do folks need to register, Mojde, to, to ahead of time if they're interested in participating in this revival? Yes. Yes, I mean, if that's just a taste, I can only imagine <laughs> what they're in for <laughs> on Sunday and beyond, right? Yes. Wow, we're out of time, but thank you so much for, for sharing with us. We've been talking with the three leaders of the local arts nonprofit Surviving the Mic. Their first Survivor's Revival for Survivors of Sexual Violence is going to be this Sunday, April 30th. It's at the Honeycomb Network in Humboldt Park from 12 to 4. Thanks. Future events are going to be held the last Sunday of the month moving forward. We've been talking with Nikki Patan, who's the founder and executive direct, or executive producer, uh, Mojde Stokely, the research and innovation officer, and Sante Harden-Tate, the advocacy and accountability officer, all of them executive directors. Thank you, everyone, for being here in studio with us. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. 
That episode of The Reset Podcast was produced by Linnea Dominic and edited by Dan Tucker. If you like the conversation, send it to a friend. Word of mouth is still one of the best ways to get more people to join the discussion we're having on Reset. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll meet again tomorrow. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.